Hello, I am Natalia Comis and this is Humans on a Mission, the podcast where I talk to inspiring humans who are living their true soul mission on earth. Join me in conversation with some of the most brilliant people on the planet today, discussing what makes us human, what extraordinary measures we go to in order to discover our true purpose, and how we can make an impact not only in our own lives, but that of others too. And who knows, perhaps you'll discover something magical about yourself in the process. Today, we're talking to the wonderful Natalie Fee, and I'm thrilled to discover Natalie's more spiritual side, her nine dreams that led to the creation of her global project, City to Sea, and of her wonderful and inspiring journey to where she is now. So hello, today we're going to be talking to Natalie Fee, and Natalie won the Sunday Times Volvo Visionaries Award for her campaign work with City to Sea, which we're going to talk a lot about today. And in 2018, she was listed as one of the UK's 50 new radicals by The Observer and Nesta. And in the same year, the University of the West of England awarded her the honorary degree of Doctor of Science in recognition of her services to the environment. She won the Sheila McKenney Award for Environmental Justice in 2017 for City to Seas Switch the Stick campaign and is proud to have been named Bristol's 24-7 Woman of the Year for 2018. She sits on the Bristol Advisory Committee for Climate Change and has done a whole load of epic stuff that we're going to be talking (laughs) about today. So welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I oh, I had to stifle a laugh then because it did sound like you said the Volvo Visionary Award. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I think I'd rather have a Volvo Visionary Award than like a car. That would be pretty visionary. cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you clearly need to start it. Yeah. I feel like this is the next the next thing, the next <laughs> epic thing on your list of ridiculous things that you've been achieving Maybe and doing it is. throughout the years. <laughs> Um, okay, so I've got so many questions, Natalie, I don't even know where to begin. So let's just start with the latest thing. Let's start with City to Sea. Um, what is your love for, or rather, where did it come from? Was it your love for the ocean or your dislike for plastic that set the spark for City to Sea? You know, what, where did this all begin? And also just tell us a little bit about it, just in case our listeners don't know what City to Sea is. Sure. Um, well, actually, it was it was neither of those things because I um, I was completely terrified of the ocean up until about five years ago and had no relationship with it whatsoever. I actually had a proper phobia of it. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, I'm intrigued even more now. Yeah. Well, actually, I think with you, we could probably tell the, the inner story, which I don't tell very often. Mm. But it was actually the albatross chicks or the plight of the albatross in the Midway Islands in the Pacific that switched me on to the problem of plastic pollution. And I saw that incredibly powerful, moving trailer for the film Albatross back in 20, it was either 2013 or 2014. Mm. And I just sort of felt extraordinarily moved, like a grief that I hadn't ever felt before in regards to a, an environmental issue. I'd been fairly aware of, you know, and into environmental things, but I hadn't been a campaigner particularly before for, for environmental issues. But seeing everyday items of plastic that I was using inside the bellies of these incredible albatross chicks was just something that I felt like I had to make a stand about. And I knew in my bones, the strength of the reaction was so strong that I would have to do something about it. Mm, Okay. I'm like, I know this information about you, but now that you've told me that you were scared of water and I feel like there's a whole another spiritual aspect of you that I'm sure we're going to delve into in a minute this Mm. feels really it feels almost like it's all been destiny in in many respects right so I wonder if you know what the albatross means from a spiritual perspective have you looked into that or um no but I did become aware that there was something more to it than meets the eye and Mm. and I felt like Um, perhaps the albatross was an ally of mine or some might say a totem or something Mm. in which I needed to um, but I didn't sort of consciously think that at the time it's just sort of having worked with that and that 
sort of energy i guess the the albatross being the guiding light of what then went on to happen to city to sea has meant that i've developed a, a fairly close relationship with that fluffy bird even though i've never actually seen one in my life and yeah the, the process was definitely transformational i mean just to answer the first part of your question you asked who city to sea are and what we do mm. we're, we're a, a campaigning organization we've got around 30 staff uh, we run award-winning campaigns to stop plastic from getting into the ocean. So we focus on stopping plastic at source. And it's been, yeah, it's been a, a phenomenal journey, but one that I never, ever anticipated going the way it had. Mm. So as you were talking there, I've just brought up the albatross because I've, I've got a book here for animals and animal spirits. And how interesting is this? So here it's saying that it's, um wind cool. wisdom. I get like a free a free reading a free reading, a podcast yeah. with you. <laughs> Wicked. <laughs> so wind wisdom, ocean wisdom, the language of currents, wandering, independence, loyalty, and freedom to break through limits. And of course, being a bird, it's also a, a messenger. Most birds are generally messengers from spirit or from soul. So I feel like that's really quite apt, actually. Um, yeah. What would you say? Yeah, it was definitely a messenger for the oceans. Um, do you want me to just dive in and tell you yeah. what happened to me when yes, I started? Do it. All right, we'll go there. Hopefully your listeners can stay with us because I'm going to get pretty woo in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, we love it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, start, I, I felt like I needed to do something and I, I thought, okay, I'm just going to start with a music video, which was a random place to start, but I'm also, I dabble with music from time to time and I'd written a song and I thought that would work if it was the music video was about plastic pollution so that was like my starting point and to do that I needed to raise some money so I had a full-time job in telly at the time but I didn't have like savings or anything I could put into it so I ran a crowdfunding campaign and anyone who's ever run a crowdfunding campaign the sort of typical ones which last a month and it was a sort of all or nothing campaign so if you didn't reach your target you don't get any of it and the middle two weeks are like super stressful if you're not like smashing it the middle two weeks are just so full on because the first week everyone's like yay how exciting you've launched crowdfunder and they support you and the last week it's like oh my god you've nearly reached your target let me help you but the middle two weeks is generally pretty dead and and excruciating and it was in those middle two weeks that I was having yeah, I was really strung out because it was a lot of hard work as well. And I had a full-time job and it felt like it was going to bomb. And my friend took me off to this little cabin by the, by the sea, just not too far from Bristol down um, onto the North Somerset coast. And we was, we just had like two nights there. And the first night I was there, I dreamt that the sea was sort of lapping at the door of the, of the hut. And I thought that's, that's kind of weird, but normal because I can hear the sea from inside the hut. So, you know, that's probably just because I'm, so I'm here by the sea. And the second night that I spent there, I dreamt that I was on the shore and there was loads of people on the beach and everyone was having fun and it was like a really nice sort of, you know, scene. And then we went back to Bristol and I went to sleep that night and I dreamt that I was like paddling stroke swimming and having a really great time. And I thought, when I woke up, I thought, well, that's weird. That's like the third night I've been dreaming about the sea and I'm back in Bristol now. And the next night I went to sleep and I dreamt I was on a boat, like a speed boat, just having the most amazing time, like feeling <laughs> so excited and, and loving being out on the water. Again, waking up the next morning thinking, okay, this is actually starting to get weird because that's like four consecutive nights. And it continued and it started getting more and more, it got deeper and I think it was the next night or the following night I dreamt I was one of a pod of dolphins mm -hmm. and it wasn't like Natalie does dolphin. It was like dolphin. I was there as a dolphin and we were just, you know, living our, living our best life as dolphins do. And it was extraordinary. And I woke up just feeling completely moved. Like I, yeah, I'd never experienced anything like that. And the following night I went to sleep kind of excited about what was going to be happening. This was on about after about seven nights of these dreams coming. Yeah. 
and I went to sleep and I dreamt I was one of five whales and I was in this with my family and we were in the depths like this just you know this profound depth of ocean and I felt that place as my home and that was again unbelievably powerful like I woke up the next morning crying with the emotion that I felt and the and the gratitude for having that experience as well and then I felt like there was maybe one more to come because by this point I'd I got a sense of the journey and that something was happening to me the last night was the ninth night I went to sleep and I dreamt I was a shark and I was just there on my own experiencing what it was like to just live as a shark and the feeling was completely different to the two previous nights but still equally powerful and transformative and I I woke up after that ninth night and knew at that point that it was complete that set of dreams had come and taken me on a journey to heal my fear of the sea and I reflected on it and have felt that when I put my energy into the energy of service to serve the ocean through the albatross the sea or the spirit of the ocean then reached out back to me and it was like a a two-way flow of me giving something to the thing I was scared of and well terrified of it then reached back out to me um is how it felt Oh my gosh, I love that so much. And wow, um, so much there that I want to kind of unpick, but I won't (laughs) unpick too much. Yeah. First of all, love that it was nine dreams because it kind of really feels like, you know, in numerology, nine is like the last, the last number of the cycle before the next beginning let's say so that's interesting isn't it and then the animals the the beautiful creatures that you were becoming yeah I love that you see that as a a uncovering um and dissolving of the fears that you had and interestingly so dolphins are very much about fun and joy and they are always seen as the the most the most connected and enlightened species on the planet, let's say. And whales are very much about rebuilding your soul and finding a lost part of yourself. And of course, sharks are all about power and fighting for what you want. So I love that, like looking at it from that perspective, then mm-hmm. looking at what you've just said and how it, how it felt for you in terms of giving back and being of service then and being able to rebuild that connection with the sea in order to do so oh I love it yeah yeah that's really lovely to hear that reflection on it too because it's you know I'm sure you know psychologists could you know come up with a very good reason Mm -hmm. as to why my psyche was processing it in that way but to me and the way I live my life it very much felt like there was something going on between my spirit and the spirit of ocean um, so yeah, I do very much feel like the albatross was the, the, the connector, the messenger that, that opened that up in me, mm. but yeah, it's not something I talk about a lot because some audiences are more receptive to it than others. <laughs> I've, you know, had gone and done my lunchtime talks and it lands in different ways with different audiences. So mm. I, I save it occasional moments. For the special maybe. ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um okay let's go back to how you began all of this in terms of practicalities because hello you can sing just just to add to all of the other things that you can do um what why singing why what made you decide that it was going to be through a music video that you were going to be you know start this process um I would say that was I'd say sort of accidental but you know I, I genuinely didn't know where to start it to try and make a difference when it came to plastic pollution. So I just sort of thought, well, what, you know, why not start with what's happening now in my life and what I love? And I'm also like really naive and thought that a music video, even though I'm not Beyonce, would like go viral and change the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really feel it's it's very kind of, I don't know, Nelly Furtado meets 
I, d- I don't know like at the time I'm trying to think who else like at the time was was in the church but I, I actually particularly really like the video and the song uh and I so think you did it really watched it the burden of video. course Ooh. of course I really feel like it's interesting isn't it that when we are doing something that we are passionate about and that comes from the soul we end up going back to a way that lights our soul up to to be able to bring it out to express it in some way I think it's really interesting that you chose singing in that way in order to to begin that to kind of allow it to to come to life and it's it's almost like the two things that you loved you were able to bring them together in order to build upon that I don't know what you what you think of that yeah I think it's sort of well do you know I just I didn't think I didn't think any of it through in that sense Mm -hmm. but it it certainly felt like I wanted to offer you know like what I had and and I couldn't do that through my work because the tv company that I worked for wanted the programming and the show that I was doing to sort of be very kind of just shit (laughs) (laughs) it was really like you know like every day like um you know entertainment like that kind of style show Mm. and they didn't so there wasn't the space for me to put I mean I tried and I put some environmental stuff out but but this was in 20 uh 2015 and they weren't you know they were still not Mm. not ready for it it. wasn't as cool yet then was it exactly (laughs) so so yeah I mean I am a creative soul and I mean it's sort of the the music video was the first thing then I did a series of um of sort of comedy poems and I was just I guess I was sort of experimenting but because the music video didn't kind of have the impact I'd wanted it to have I then went on and and, um, and then we created a, a series of campaigns which we piloted in Bristol that we could then develop and get funding for and then grow the, grow the team although we've always been had the sort of playful element to our campaigns and our videos which is because that's how I began it you know I started it with this sense of cheekiness and play and and joy which is generally how I try to approach things um that that it's it's retained some of that but obviously as we've got bigger and a bit more grown up it's not quite as um not quite as raw maybe as it used to be (laughs) Mm, yeah I think that's that's normal I guess isn't it as things grow and other people come in as well and other energies and um, expectations in in certain respects. I I want to go into your campaigns, but um, but first I would love to just sort of touch upon what you just said about being a creative, because from what I can tell, you're very much a multi passionate, right? You very much have lots of different skills. You've done lots of things, you've tried lots of things. You know exactly what you just said in terms of uh, exploring and trial and error and all of that kind of stuff and following your curiosity but if we just do a little rewind a little rewind back to the 90s where you had what many would call a good life uh, at a pretty young age actually at 21 um you had a great you know good job a house a car all that kind of stuff that actually not that many 21 year olds have looking back at that stage of your life what do you feel was missing? What was it that wasn't making you happy that made you kind of really shift gears? Um, well, yeah, like you said, it was a, it was a, an unusual place to find myself at 21. I, I dropped out of uni and got into IT recruitment back in the sort of towards the end of the 90s when, you know, the IT industry and the internet just kind of completely blew up. Like it was just that boom period. So I made a lot of money and had a lot of fun doing so um, very fast. And I got to this place of, you know, having all those material boxes ticked of like what we're supposed to achieve when we're grown up. And I was like, well, this isn't it this feels completely vacuous and empty and this isn't this isn't sort of what what it takes to to you know this is this stuff supposed to make you happy but I certainly didn't feel happy mm-hmm. um and yeah for various for various reasons I think having you know done 
therapy throughout my lives and my, my lives. Yeah, probably done it through all of them. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I think I was, I was switched on. I'd, I'd been switched on to the, I guess, more spiritual and nature-based philosophies from a young age like when I was 11 I ended up getting into seances which was crazy and a really (laughs) ridiculously young age to get into things like that and I kind of have my mind a bit blown of sort of being introduced to this sort of spirit world and then when I was 17 I got into yoga and had um, some really powerful awakening experiences so so even though I then went on and had this like executive lifestyle Mm. I'd be doing this like corporate you know corporate hustle by day and then I'd be coming home and reading about Hinduism and Buddhism and meditating and reading cosmic books so by the time I was 21 that split didn't feel like I didn't feel like I could marry them up and like you know stay in that corporate lifestyle and still sort of blend my spiritual with it I actually felt like I had to break away from home and from um the 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 sort of constructs that I built around me and and let it all go and and Mm. do some traveling so I did that yeah interesting how do you think you found you're happy in the end once you left that and you know talk us through what you what you did to come back to you or perhaps even to to find that year that that was able to blend what you wanted well, I mean our shadows have a funny habit of following us wherever we go <laughs> so actually in South America I was just um which is where I went to travel with well-meaning purposes I went there to like to an eco to build an eco uh hostel and um sort of get my hands back in the earth and I felt like I kind of needed to repent for the sins of the past sort of <laughs> three or four years and actually, when I got there, I just realized I was still carrying the same sort of struggles. Mm-hmm. So although I did have a, 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 you know, a special time there and I learned a lot, I learned a lot about environmentalism when I was there, but I was still sort of acting out in unhealthy ways um, and sort of engaging in things that were, were ultimately quite damaging for me whilst being really led by this sort of spiritual questing really you know like finding shamans to work with and going to sacred sites and having some yeah wonderful experiences but also you know it's I'd say it's a lifetime's journey to Mm. find out who I am and I'm still I'm still on that now aged 41 some 20 20 years later yes gosh I love that I love that what you just said about shadows following us and they certainly <laughs> do um until we've learned those freaking lessons <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you you know back then 20 years ago you went and you learned lots about the environment do you feel like the seed was sown for your environmental activism later on i think it was more like my love of nature like even uh, going back even younger i was i was really i've always had a sense of reverence and and awe and respect and a sense of that there is again more to nature than we than meets the eye that there is this whole other invisible realm attached to it um i think that was there but i guess in south america i saw a bit more of the uh, social implications and the the more of the sort of destruction of the amazon mm. and the water riots in bolivia um and the effects of like corporations on small indigenous um So yeah, it was it was a first-hand experience of seeing the sort of social and environmental effects. But still, for me, it was the nature-based stuff that I think I was most excited about. And even when I returned back to the UK, I went and did a, a permaculture design course at Findhorn. But it was when I was at Findhorn, it was still the spiritual stuff that was lighting me up more. So I then went and trained to be a yoga teacher. And then with the arrival of my son, then became a (laughs) pregnancy yoga teacher as well. Oh, I love that. And isn't it interesting where our soul leads us and and how that all works out in terms of our 3D real life world as well. I'm interested to find out a little bit more, Natalie, about your first book, because I don't think, I mean, you don't talk about it, obviously, quite as much anymore, but I feel like it's super important and super interesting in terms of your journey and everything that we've just talked about 
So it's the Everyday Alchemist Happiness Handbook. And it really feels like almost like the result of this quest for happiness that you were on. Would you say that's true? It definitely was. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. I mean, it was definitely also the result of me moving to Glastonbury in Somerset. Mm. So after sort of, you know, a few years on from sort of retraining as a yoga teacher, I moved to Glastonbury when my son was four and we lived there for five years before moving to Bristol. And during that time, I, yeah, I guess I kind of like, um, metabolized that experience and then uh, of the sort of previous like 10 years and put it into a book about happiness and well-being which I wanted to sort of be a slightly more mainstream approach to the the deeper alchemical work of transforming our our stresses and our shadows and transforming those into higher energy and awareness Mm. um, and giving people practical tools to do that. So yeah, I'm proud of that book. And that was published by Finhorn Press actually in 2012. But yeah, it, it never really took off because by the time it came out, I'd, I was moving to Bristol and I was getting into environmental stuff. And my, I felt like my, I'd, I'd sort of, I was on to the next chapter. Mm, it closed that other chapter and, and then it's the next phase. And almost like that's, that's what you needed to do in order to do that. Yeah. And also, I think in Glastonbury, what had happened is I discovered uh, a talent for writing, which I, I, again, feel like that emerged through the inner work and the, uh, you know, the work that I'd been doing with sacred sites Mm -hmm. around sort of in South America, but in in the UK. Um, And through my training, I trained with my teacher who I've been training with for the past 15 years. And through that process, the talent for writing emerged as a vehicle really and as a, as a way to to help me transform my stuff mm. but also to further be of service and to put my energy out there and so I started writing articles and things like that and then then I wrote the book and so yeah I think that was the other emerging from that time. Mm. It's interesting as well because I I mean I really I'm in that process at the minute where you're writing something or you're creating something and before it's finished, you're already on to the next thing, <laughs> you know, like, and I really feel like most creatives and multi-passionates are like that, that, you know, you've, you, it's like you've almost come into the close so that your, your energy for it is starting to wind down a little bit and you're excited about something else. And then, you know, in the practical, it's like, okay, I actually have to finish this before I can allow myself to go on to the next thing, yeah. to, to be excited about the next thing. And I, and I actually think that's one of the things about creatives and that we all feel and have to battle with from a, from a business perspective as well. Right. And like you're saying, you know, you, you weren't, able it's almost like you weren't necessarily able to put the right energy into it for you know creating a huge launch or taking it big and mainstream and global and all of that kind of stuff that you imagine right at the beginning yeah you were already wanting to do the next thing I think that yeah following this that point that you made is that I felt like I sort of was ready to do the next thing, but then it's like, well, no, this, you still need to do this like as an author mm. and, you know, as a sort of, if you're creating stuff for business, you then have to promote it and you have to spend the next year honoring the kind of getting the work out into the world. You can't just kind of like put it out there and walk away and do the next thing, unless you're like JK Rowling, who's got, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's got people queuing up. Damn it. <laughs> by the books but you know initially you you have to if you're not that kind of stratospheric level you you have to do the work so so I learned that from the first book with this book I saw it as a a much longer journey and you know I would write the book and then I would promote the book and so mm-hmm. I changed my perspective of it to see as the sort of the writing of it as phase one um, and the the promoting of it as phase two Mm. it's almost like the phase two is the being of service aspect isn't it as well of you you know you're you're doing a disservice to others if you're not letting them know it exists yeah I guess so yeah and it's sort of it's honoring the the energy of the book Mm. or you know the product isn't it and sort of giving it it's sort of its best chance to get out into the world definitely part of the process yeah, I love how you describe your first book as greening the inside of ourselves and not polluting our inner world with with negative stuff. And then your second book, How to Save the World for Free, is 
is the outer work of that almost. Do you think that we need the inner work and the outer work to find our ultimate happy? God, so, so much. It's so important. I mean, especially because environmental work can be so, so overwhelming, so exhausting, so at times unrewarding frustrating <laughs> I'm really selling <laughs> selling environmentalism to people here aren't I um but yeah quite often you're up against things you can't control and so if you can live in a um and also you know sorry just to say the fact that we're living in a climate emergency and mm. an ecological emergency dealing with that level of destruction and grief and loss on every day you do need to have resilience and you do need to be able to access that place of of contentment and calm and well-being despite what's going on around us so so yeah I think I think the two are essential skills to have really Mm, and having the tools to do that as well right knowing what to do in that situation and how to do it what do you think your version of happiness is Natalie like what does being and finding happy mean for you now Right now, it means massaging some plastic-free, <laughs> um, <laughs> rose-smelling hand balm into my palm whilst we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> sort of like just um, that is. I'm it's, I'm very happy being here talking to you about stuff that lights us up. And I would say during the current sort of COVID pandemic, I'm in the privileged position to be able to work from home Mm. and for city to see sort of livelihood to be affected but not not in peril and a great team sort of carrying it and it's meant that I've had a bit of time to kind of take a bit of an exhale after the past five years of building it up and then the book coming out last year so I've been able to yeah just rest a bit and recalibrate and spend time meditating under trees which is if I can't be near a little spring or well then a tree is the next best thing (laughs) yes so yeah I think sort of my version of happy is that really just being able to have enough calm around me to just listen more to my inner voice and feel when I need to go and meditate or when I need to call someone or when I need to eat something and just I find that the space that I've been sort of enabled to have at the moment has just allowed me to go a bit deeper with that if that makes sense definitely I think so many people will agree with that and and resonate with that I mean I know I I do and I know that a lot of the people I've been speaking to over the last couple of months you know during all of this have definitely consciously and subconsciously I would say have you know gone deeper and I've had to like when you're dealing with a lot of you know a lot of craziness <laughs> like we have been yeah. and like you say you know even like from a from a climate perspective from a social impact perspective and and just generally the world like there's so much going on there's a lot of grief there's a lot of trauma there's a lot of control and misaligned power and all of that kind of stuff I think we are forced to go deeper and figure out what that means for us and how to how to come through that right and how to heal that for ourselves as well yeah so yeah I really feel that it has been um yeah for for many the sort of a time of of transformation Mm. and obviously it sort of exposed some some cracks as well um, in our social justice and how different communities have been affected in in different ways so I'm hoping that we'll see a return sort of that that embraces not just the kind of environmental changes that we want to see but also readdresses some of the social imbalances as well. Mm, Yeah do you feel that the that the more you you dig deeper into this world the more that you uncover and kind of you know, the more that you see through those cracks, the more passionate you're becoming, or or maybe even the more passionate you're becoming about specific aspects. Um, yeah, I definitely think that things get uncovered along the way, and things spark my interest. Like after four years of talking about plastic, I definitely noticed that for me personally, I was getting a little bit bored of talking mm. about plastic because recognizing my skills, I'm I'm good at starting things, and then 
initiating and yeah, creating something and then moving on to the next thing. Obviously with plastic, it's related to climate. And so writing my book was like the next step, mm. sort of being able to take the plastic pollution campaigners and members on that sort of journey as well. But yeah, I mean, personally, at the moment, the sort of the blind spot that was uncovered for me through growing an organization and getting to sort of 30 staff and realizing that we were like 95% white and (laughs) mostly women realized that, you know, there was obviously a lack of ethnic diversity. Mm. And I started to address that sort of last year and sort of asked the team, you know, we've got an HR manager and a CEO. So I was like, okay, we need to get this right off you go and get it right and then I was like "Mm, maybe I need to do my own work on this given that it's my own organization and so yeah I've been on a bit of a bumpy journey to identifying my own white privilege and white fragility and um, and learning how to be an ally which is something that even probably a year ago I didn't even know the word ally existed so I'm quite new to this but I'm enjoying the even though it's uncomfortable and it takes investment of my time reading books that I don't necessarily want to read, but that I feel are important, especially if I want to see genuine change in my organization and in the environmental movement. So important. And I'm so glad you brought this up. And I think, you know, the biggest, the biggest thing about this is is what you just said. It's about learning being open getting comfortable in the uncomfortable right mm-hmm. and 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 allowing that conversation and having that conversation and starting that conversation if if no one is having it and I think you're you know you're completely right in in doing so and in just making sure that it's being seen and being heard and knowing that you're not doing everything right and that there are better ways and that it's about learning and asking and being an ally and supporting and and getting support yourself I think especially when we are you know claiming to to be leaders of of certain movements and to and to be there to help change yeah like it's it's, it would just be hypocritical wouldn't it if you weren't (laughs) being open with great power comes great responsibility (laughs) exactly and that's difficult right I think it's it's really difficult to own up to the fact that you might not be doing something right as well it is especially when you have like one of your shadows is an intense fear of getting something wrong and being told off so Mm. definitely (laughs) a double-edged sword there to work with yes oh my gosh <laughs> well done well done you <laughs> on your on your journey so far <laughs> what do you feel like this work has taught you Natalie which bit all of it like what do you feel like or rather okay let's rephrase that what do you feel the you know your last kind of five years like the work that you've done in the last five years what do you feel like that has taught you Crikey, so much. I guess the main thing being that it's taught me that we can change the world and we can create a livelihood doing what we're good at and what we love and create meaningful work in the world that is of benefit to the world. You know, there's a lot of belief out there that we can't change the world and we can't make a difference. But I felt that the last five years for me have proved that not to be true. And yeah, I'd say that's the the main theme for it. What do you think are the big barriers to change for most of us in terms of personal change and, and global societal change? I think sort of comfort, really. I think sort of we we don't like to challenge the status quo. Change is quite scary if we've got a comfortable life. And so I think that's why sort of more, it's sort of harder to, to address those bigger changes because generally the more privileged they are the more comfortable our life is the less Mm. we want to upset the apple cart so I think I think change the sort of the idea of change is scary to a lot of people and generally that we you know it's not until we start feeling the discomfort of something that we then are prepared to to change so 
there's a quote, I, I will say it wrong, but it's something that <laughs> like we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Consequences give us the motivation to act. Mm. The thing with like plastic, it was, it, was, it was very obvious and very tangible. And we could see all the pain it was causing the marine animals and it was, it was ugly. And it was like, yeah, okay, we need to get rid of this. And, and so people saw the consequences and felt a connection with them because they, obviously they were holding plastic in their hands multiple times a day as well. But with climate breakdown, it's much harder for people who aren't the sort of most affected if it's not sort of affecting you now in ways mm. that you, that are uncomfortable to you. Um, then that's why it's, it's slower for, to change and for, it's harder for people to connect with it as we've seen with coronavirus, you know, if there's a, an immediate threat to your well-being and your family's well-being, people change, they mobilize, they do whatever they can. But mostly in the sort of the global north, the effects of climate change aren't being felt so acutely. So, so that desire and a sense of urgency for change just isn't there. Mm, so true. I also feel like, I won't go into it too much because I feel like this is a whole nother podcast, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little bit like it's the people as well. It's, it's the trend that's happening. It's, you know, oh, Sally next door is using the special toothbrush and it's cool to do that now. And maybe I should do the same or, you know, like, oh, look at me. I've been on a, on a climate change protest and, and I've yeah. got a special banner, like, and I'm putting it on Instagram. You know, I feel like it's very much what's the next cool thing to do. Which which does work in the sense of us being social creatures and wanting to be loved and accepted. So we we will change our behaviours based on what the crowd are doing. So that's that's a good argument for how individual changes like, you know, yeah, a bamboo toothbrush won't save the world, but when living sustainable living is really cool and then it becomes more accessible and mm. more and more people do it yes you end up with a load of greenwashing but generally it shifts it shifts things in people's minds and makes it sometimes then even bordering on shameful not to be doing mm. it yeah and it allows for I guess the next wave the next whatever the next radical change to happen you know the next visionaries to to bring forward the next thing yeah Ooh, what do you think the the most pressing matter of our times is now what what do we all need to be focusing on to create positive change that's a really big question <laughs> personally um, from from your personal perspective right now <laughs> I would say to I just want to I want to think about that for a moment because you know you can generally say right you know the top three things you can do to reduce your carbon footprint eat less meat fly less switch your energy provider mm. um, but it feels like it feels like there's something else there around like feminine leadership um, because we, you know yes we can all influence those individual actions and it's hugely important that we do and that's pretty much what my book is all about um, but and at the same time, we need to we need to influence those big decisions being made because the rate at which we're losing our, our um, the uh, having a complete mind blank <laughs> the environment the environment you know no, the um, the sort of uh, animals in the world our ecosystem, ecosystem that'll do thank you um it's, it's so fast and you know um, and the rate at which we're emitting co2 is also so rapid that the the changes that we need to see need to happen really quickly and with leaders like Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand you can see how that world is possible but then with leaders like Trump and Bolsonaro and Johnson you you question whether we're gonna make it so mm. I think really advocating and running for sort of you know those positions as women and supporting women in politics um, I think is really a, a really important thing for us to be doing as well mm. as the individual stuff and the inner healing as well yeah yeah I completely agree I mean like 
Trump had worked on his childhood trauma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whole other world right there. Exactly. <laughs> um, could you just, just coming back to your book, could you give our listeners some simple ways that they can start saving the world for free? Just, you know, ba- based on what you've written or, or just, you know, based on what has happened since? Sure. Well, I mean, as I, as I just said, I mean, the top three things that people can do is to eat a predominantly plant-based diet. So like radically cutting back on the amount of meat that you eat, um, making sure that if you are flying, you're doing it a lot less, like ideally not flying, but that's Mm -hmm. just in our world kind of unrealistic, especially if you've got family in other countries, but travel by train if you can um, and offset using a kind of a blue carbon sort of scheme if you can um so something which is supporting seagrass or mangroves or marine permaculture because that sequesters carbon from the atmosphere much faster than trees can Mm, and it is it's a really Mm. exciting subject um and then thirdly just making sure your energy is from a green supplier so few people have still switched and it's such a big important thing for us all to do so yeah if people are listening and they're still locked down and they've got a bit of extra time on their hands I've got articles my Instagram bios you know everyone says link in bio yeah um, well <laughs> within my link in bio are various ways you can save the world for free whilst on lockdown so I've got an article I just wrote for um, Extinction Rebellions newspaper um, there's an article I did for Eco Hustler so yeah there's loads of stuff through my Instagram link if people want to access sort of how they can use this time specifically otherwise there are hundreds of ways in the book love it love it love it okay so we should wrap up I've got two last questions for you Natalie and the first one is what story would you like to be told about the impact that you've created when you've gone? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry, I go deep. There's big, heavy questions here. (laughs) It's kind of awkward though, isn't it? You're kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of awkward. I mean, I think... What's the impact you you, want to create? Put it that way. Like when you, when you, are you know finished with creating and doing and all of these things like what would you want the result to be I think sort of like changed the world and left it in a better place whilst leaving a smile on people's faces Mm. yeah nice yeah I feel like that I feel like that's like the combination of both of your books Yeah, it's been really lovely talking about my first book and this whole conversation because it feels very sort of integrating for me and um and it's lovely to to talk about that the sort of the bigger picture of how they how they connect. Mm, yeah, it's really thank you for sharing as well. It's been lovely to to see that aspect and to see it all to coming together. So the last question is what is your sole mission? My sole mission to remember um to remember who I am and that to to sort of fully experience and live the understanding and the inkling that I have that the world is made from love and the universe is made from love and there is a sacred purpose to everything um and we are expressions of that oh yes okay well I'm glad we went something there. along something along those lines I mean that's why I feel we're all here really yeah yeah I completely agree and I love that you said inkling as well <laughs> I get, you know I, I, I've been meditating for 20 years and living that life and I do I have faith and and at 100% faith but I don't embody inhabit that space the whole time I feel like that is obviously that's an enlightened being so <laughs> I'm kind of um yeah working my way to that I suppose but yeah just that kind of sense of coming home Mm, yes how nice how nice (laughs) thank you for sharing that thank you for asking (laughs) um Natalie can you tell our listeners where they can find you what your what your Instagram handle is and and all the rest of it okay wonderful well I guess uh if you're more of a pictures and words person then Instagram is the place to find me I am Natalie Fee underscore on Instagram 
My website is nataliefee.com and you can find my books there and uh, city to see is citytosea.org.uk and there's also refill.org.uk if you want to find out more about our campaigns we're also all across social media and that kind of thing um Natalie just quickly as I'm thinking about it city to see is um because I know all of your campaigns are very much in the UK and and all around Great Britain uh how how global is it now Well, Refill, which is our biggest campaign, is in a number of different countries now. So Refill is our tap water campaign that encourages people to get off of plastic bottles and refill on the go. So we've got an app um, that's been translated into a few different languages now. So we've got Refill Japan, Refill Chile and other countries which escape me and uh, (laughs) I can't think of at the moment. Um, probably because I'm on furlough so that part of my brain is like switched off for now <laughs> which is probably why we didn't talk about any yes, of these insanely amazing campaigns but listen we can do that another time um, and if people are interested then yeah city to um, we do have campaigns going on around the world and all of our video content and stuff like that is very shareable and accessible amazing thank you thank you so much for this lovely conversation and for sharing with us and um, i'm excited to see what happens next what's what the next adventure is going to be for you well like i I have an inkling we'll go back to that word and (laughs) and i definitely am excited about sharing it with you so i will you will be one of the first to know when it's amazing yay thank you (laughs) and good luck um, I, I will be waiting. <laughs> um, and, and no doubt you'll be shining your light in the world and doing all your amazing things as well. So, um, so good luck yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much, Natalie. I freaking loved this episode and I hope you have too. Natalie is such a multi-passionate soul and I know that so much of her journey will resonate with you also. And I hope that if you're searching for your version of happiness or you're looking to change the world, that this chat has inspired you to keep following your happy and not be afraid to start over or to try new things or to just go for it. Thank you for listening to the Humans on a Mission podcast. I always love hearing your thoughts or how the episode may have inspired you. So please do share. You can do so by joining me in the Humans on a Mission Facebook group or hit me up on Instagram at Natalia Comis. And if you are looking to find your soul mission, do head over to my website, nataliacommis.com and download your free Discover Your Mission workbook to get you started.